Before we get back to Door to Eternity, please consider this amazing offer. Now you can turn your ideas into a world-class animated video at record speed with a new app revealed today. Create amazing product videos, marketing videos, whiteboard videos, explainer videos, animated videos, logo reveals, video mockups, scroll stoppers, e-commerce videos and YouTube videos. All from just one dashboard. It is so easy, with hundreds of ready-to-use templates. You choose the shape and dimension of your video from square, landscape, vertical, and rectangle videos. You get unlimited video renders with no limits, restrictions or monthly fees. It has your back with its copyright-free video, image, and music library that will save you thousands in fees. With multilingual capabilities, you can create videos in any language. It comes with a commercial license too where you can make money selling videos to clients, online and offline. Get your video creator software at videos.doortoeternity.net and use coupon code VIDEO for a $20 discount. Again that's videos.doortoeternity.net. Welcome. You are about to enter the Door to Eternity podcast with your host, Jesse Carter, who provides you with a rare viewpoint of end times prophecy explained by a normal everyday guy who guides you down a simple roadmap toward taking advantage of your eternal destiny. You're standing at your door to eternity. So come on in and join us. Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of Door to Eternity. I'm Jesse Carter, and I'll be with you here today. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to start reading from a book in the Holy Scriptures called Revelation. It is probably, besides Daniel, it is probably the book that you want to read about future events because it comes from the number one authority, Jesus Christ himself as written by John, one of his disciples. What I plan on doing is, I'm gonna, each episode, I'm going to read a little bit of Revelation. I'm also, at the end of Revelation, I'm also going to go to chapter of Daniel and reveal that. That's probably the second most influential prophetic book in the Bible. I think you're going to be amazed at the forethought of what is happening today and is actually what was written 2,000 years ago by John the Disciple. And I'm going to give you some comment along the way, kind of interpret it a little bit. Now remember, I haven't had any visions from heaven, <laughs> uh, from God hadn't told me anything. I'm strictly reading from the Bible and interpreting in a very layman's sort of way. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a you know, scripture guru. I don't have any, I'm not a prophet, uh, none of that stuff. Just keep that in mind. But, you know, you use your common sense, you use your brain power, which God did give us, and you can draw certain conclusions based on what is happening in this day and age. So let me give you the background to Revelation. And it's actually a message from Jesus Christ to his church at the time 
and it actually explains the outline of human history and the climax thereof. And he appears at the beginning of the book to John, his servant, who is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. That's in the Greek area there. And under the Caesar Dominician, Dominician, I guess that's how you pronounce it in the Latin. But anyway, that's around A.D. 81 through 96. And he's writing this based on what Jesus is telling him to write down. So keep in mind, he's probably the only disciple left at that time who hasn't been martyred, hasn't been crucified or stoned or killed or what have you. So just keep that in mind. He's the last guy of the the 12 disciples, you know. In this book, you'll see the very first part of it talking about the church. I just want to get this very clear to you. The church is still here on this earth as Jesus opens up this book and starts talking about prophetic events. The church, his church, or in eternity, his bride, you know, not in the sense of an earthly sense of a bride, but his bride who will be a co-heir of the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. And so his bride, the church, will reign with him through, you know, all eternity over all of creation. And that was his plan from the beginning. Keep that in mind as you're looking at this. So the first segment will talk about different churches, the Christian churches in Turkey, uh, actually, which is located in modern-day Turkey, that is. It was a part of the Roman Empire at the time. And before that, of course, the Greek Empire. But give you the context of this, at some point, he no longer refers to the church or talks about the church. In fact, he it comes to a conclusion of the church being on this earth at the rapture. Now, that's a term that a lot of people say, well, that term's not in the, in, in the Bible. Well, that's true in the English sense. It's not as rapture, but it does show in Revelation, and we'll talk about it, that all of a sudden the church is no longer there. And who is left? It's humanity who did not love Jesus Christ, who Jesus did not know, but still wants to offer eternity with him. And so you'll see this in the context as we go through the, the book, that he still loves people. He still wants them as part of the eternal kingdom that he has set up. And he doesn't want them to suffer, but in in the end, God at some point turns humanity over to what is described as their reprobate minds, meaning they can no longer distinguish between sanity and insanity, between madness and, you know, calm thinking and critical thinking. They are gone beyond all hope. And it's not God that did it. Keep in mind, humanity has chosen the path that it wants to follow. Each human being has their own personhood, meaning they have control over that entity, that eternal being. You, your mind, your soul, as it is, has control over your spirit. And you determine where your spirit will end up in eternity either with Jesus Christ going through that door to eternity with him 
or somewhere else that's not great. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Uh, hell, in other words, as a lot of people describe it. And it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pretty. You don't want to go there. So prepare yourself. Shore yourself up. And what they, the Bible refers to a lot of times, gird your loins. And you mean, you know, pick up your garments and tighten them up so you can get to work. That's what that means. Of course, the garments in there, those days, you know, were kind of like a robe. And so they had to pull that robe up to get to work. You know, they couldn't leave it laying around because they couldn't do a lot of work that way. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. And I'll go line by line. I will read it and then offer any commentary as I have it. There's a certain thing about this book. The reason I want to read it is because the listener gets a blessing, actually from God, a blessing from hearing the word of this one book alone. I mean, yeah, the Bible's great, and you want to learn it. It's got some good life lessons in it. Uh, some of it you may not understand, you know, the all of the begats, you know, who begat who, who begat who, you know, that's a lot of that. And sometimes it gets a little deep trying to figure out who begat who, you know, who fathered, you know, a particular person and who was his great-grandfather and great-great-great-great-grandfather, you know, that kind of thing. So that kind of gets tedious, but scholars have pulled some good information out of that, and, you know, you can discuss that with uh, certain readings, certain books on those topics. But on this particular topic, it's about prophecy. It's about the future and how it's colliding with our modern-day times. And I think it's pretty relative, you know, to what we are experiencing today. But it's very truthful as well. So we'll start with Chapter 1, and I'll go that route first. Okay, Chapter 1, quote, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it with his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Now, I'm going to pause here for that. That's verse 1 and 2 right there. What it means, the common term apocalypse, you see that in a lot of movies. You see that in a lot of terms. It's actually a from a Greek called apocalypsis, and it means to reveal or to unveil things that which are hidden. So we know prophecy is hidden up until the point where things that were prophesied happen, and then it's revealed, right? So that's what we're talking about here. It's being, it's a revealing. That's where the word revelation comes from, a revealing of Jesus Christ and the prophecies that he is portraying. And in this, John is writing down what he is seeing. He's actually seeing this. He's actually experiencing it himself. We don't know by vision, by actual experience, we think, you know, out of body he could have been. Keep in mind, your spirit is separate from your body and your soul. Your soul is like your mind. Uh, it's your who you are. It's your essence. 
are you a good person or are you a bad person, you know, are you a good soul or are you a bad soul, you know. So keep that in mind. And so your spirit can, I guess, go anywhere. And it is eternal. And one day we will be given eternal bodies for that spirit to dwell in. That's why oftentimes the Bible talks about our bodies as a tent, as a dwelling place currently. So our spirit is, our eternal spirit is in our current body. So easily he could have been taken up by the spirit, you know, in a blink of an eye. I don't know. So he really is experiencing these things and he's writing them down as he experiences those. Now let's go on to verses three here. Here's where the blessing comes in. Quote, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. End quote. Now you see, you get a blessing for listening to this. You can go back and read it to confirm what I'm saying. But go back and read it. You get a blessing. And it's not often that God blesses you for something. I mean, you can ask for blessings. You can ask for wisdom. You can thank him for things that he has given you and ask for more. And the Bible says, certainly ask God. And if it fits within his framework, you know, you don't ask for wealth. I mean, you can, but it's up to him if he gives it to you, right? He has all authority to do whatever he wants to. You know, you could ask for wealth if it serves his purpose or it furthers his kingdom or it helps some other people, you know, like the homeless or widows, which, you know, he likes you doing. So, uh, and that's in the Bible, by the way. You help the homeless, you help widows, you you do charity work like that. And certainly he's going to give you the wherewithal to do that and help other people. He likes that. You get a blessing by listening to this is what my what I'm trying to get here too. Okay, now you're going to see in this chapter, there are seven churches that start off in this book. And the seven is a word, it's a number that God uses often, and it means completion. It's symbolic of completion. You'll see this seven churches, and it completes the church age. It completes different types of churches spread out over the last 2,000 years. Incidentally, even though these seven type churches were spread out over 2,000 years, you can still find each one of them here in our modern day and age. And we'll go through these, and you can see some mainline denominations jesus said you've had a falling away and no longer love me you'll see this as i read it and a lot of churches you know they've strayed actually if you want to look at it from that standpoint so these seven churches were in asia as they was referred to at that time and i'll go over them we'll certainly look at each one of them now another phrase that you'll see is you'll see that the church, individuals in the church of Jesus Christ, will be referred to sometimes as kings and priests unto God forever when Christ comes to reign. Now, reading the Bible, we know that Jesus Christ is the ultimate priest. 
comparable to Melchizedek. That's a person's name, actually. Many refer to Melchizedek as actually Jesus Christ who came in bodily form before he was born on the scene as our Savior, you know, as the babe in the manger to Mother Mary and Father Joseph, stepfather Joseph, because we know God the Father is his real father. Anyway, without getting too complicated, sometimes you'll see those types of things. So don't, you know, think that it's odd by referring to the church as priests and kings. The king part is meaning that we'll reign with him as co-heirs. He's the ultimate king of kings. And ladies, even if you're a female in heaven, we know that you'll have bodies as similar to what you have now. We don't know every aspect of your bodily functions. We know you can eat. We know you can hear. We know you can see. You can touch and feel. Beyond that, I can't tell you. It doesn't talk about that at all. But you know, we do know that we will have a wedding feast in heaven, and it will be outlined here in the book of Revelation. We will have be able to drink wine, I believe, and bread. We do know we'll eat that, and who knows what else, but it'll be good, I can guarantee you. Maybe they'll have pizza. I hope they do. I'll put it in an order ahead of time for that if I can, if I can help it. Okay, so here we are getting to verse 4, and this is really starting to talk to these seven churches that I've mentioned. So, quote, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from which him which is and which was and which is to come. That means Jesus Christ was here forever, all eternity past, all eternity future. And he's omnipresent and omnipotent, Okay, let me continue. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, I'm going to pause right there before we get into further things. You can see the reference to kings and priests, and you can see that he washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's what it says. Now, as in modern day times, we don't like to think about things like that, that you have to have an animal sacrifice. Folks, there was a reason for that. The reason is killing something innocent and it should really rent your soul you don't want to do it but you do do it because it's an innocent animal and you do it to represent all of this was representing the innocent shedding of jesus christ's blood for our sake god the father didn't like it jesus didn't want to do it but he went through it because that was the only remedy to save us for eternity and I don't quite fully understand it. You might not fully understand it, but just know with calmness and assurity that it was for a reason. And oftentimes Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. You'll see this in a lot of things. So you shed an innocent lamb's blood, and 
you do that for your own guilty sins. And it should inflict something in your being, in your soul to, uh, you know, I just, I don't want to do this, harm this innocent lamb, this innocent animal, but I'm going to do it because I need to be with God one day. God had a reason for this, and we will know it in full one day. But just know that's what that means in there. Let me keep going here. Chapter, I mean, verse 7, quote, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they all which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Verse 8, here's Jesus actual quoting, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come the Almighty. By saying he's the Almighty and that he was the Alpha and Omega, that means the beginning of the Greek alphabet. Alpha is the A and Omega is RZ. So he is beginning and the end, meaning he was before anything was created and he'll be here after everything is gone, if that ever happens. Or it says that he is the Almighty, which means he's God. This is why Christians believe in the triune Godhead in that there were three distinct personalities. And one of those personalities in that Godhead, if you will, was Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, was he actually the Son of God the Father? It says that he is, but only in the context to convey that to humans in the context that they've had a father and they've had sons, you know, that sort of thing. But is he really the son of God the Father? No, he has his own personhood and distinct from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So just to put that in context, and it many parts in the Bible, it says that he is the creator. So keep that in mind as well. And that's why it says he was in the beginning and he's in the end. So keep that in mind as well. I've said this in other episodes. It's like a marriage. It's weird nowadays in the modern age, but let's just say you have a male and a female. They get married, and in that marriage, say if it was my name, Carter, you'd have the Carter family, the Carter marriage. Husband and wife, last name would then be Carter. Now, are we just one being? No, we're two distinct beings in that Carter marriage. So that's how you have to think about the Godhead, three distinct beings, entities in that situation. So I won't beat that bush too much. Pointing this out, he says, behold, he comes in the clouds, or it says, he doesn't say that, says he comes in the clouds and all eyes shall see him. This is often called the second coming of Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, there's two parts. It's like a year. You've got one year, but there's 12 different months in that year, right? So we're going to think of this second coming as with two parts to it. The first part will be he will come secretly to snatch his church away, to snatch his bride away, to carry her off for seven years while there, the tribulation, as we'll point out here in Revelation, the tribulation period of seven years is unfolding. 
the church or his bride will be in heaven. They'll be celebrating a marriage supper of the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. That That's where they will be. And you will see that coming to fruition at the end of this seven churches that we're going to outline here. Just keep that in mind, the second coming. The first part will be secret. You won't see it. But this second part is what they're talking about here. And it says, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Now, who is that? That's the Jewish nation, Israel, nowadays. Uh, and the Jewish people were the ones facilitated that. And of course, the Romans pierced him. They're the Gentiles. Uh, a Roman soldier actually pierced him. And then he goes on to talk about all kindreds shall wail because of him. Now, this is actually going to be talked about the Jewish people. He will not come again at the end of that seven years until they cry out. The Jewish people cry out and understand who he is finally. So there's a veil over their eyes right now. They, You know, I'm not saying all Jewish people, but most of them, they can't see who Jesus Christ is. Now, we will see in this book of Revelation, there will be 144,000 Jewish people that will try to lead the rest of humanity to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They will preach the gospel, the gospel meaning good news of Jesus Christ and his salvation for mankind, and they will preach that, and there will be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, as we'll show here in Revelation. Now, there are some cults out there, Christian cults, that say that 144,000 is for their Christian cult alone. Actually, I don't want to even use the word Christian because they're not Christians. They're taking the scriptures, even this scripture, that you're not supposed to deviate from because you'll be cursed if you do or add anything to this book that I'm reading. If you add anything to it in a scripture sort of way, in a very firm way, then, you know, you're going to reap the destructive powers thereof. It'll talk about that here in a minute. I'm just commenting, you know, I'm not going to be adding anything. I'm just adding my commentary. I'm going to read this from this particular book I'm reading here, the translation thereof, and I'm going to lean on the translators of this particular version, knowing what they were talking about. And saying all that, just want to keep that in front of you. So the second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned more frequently, perhaps, than any other subject, with the exception of salvation itself. It has been mentioned by prophets, apostles, angels, and even Jesus Christ himself has talked about it. And he even mentions that uh, it's for those who received him by faith will be those that join him. And then those who reject him will be the ones who wail at his coming. Okay, so we're going to John, who is on the Isle of Patmos, as I mentioned, and we're going to start with verse 9. Quote, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day 
and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, end quote. Now, I want to mention this by the trumpet. That's important, too. On the last Trump, now I'm not talking about President Donald Trump, although some people have alluded to him as being a part of prophecy. Now, on the last trumpet, that's a part of the Jewish feasts or festivals, and there's actually the Festival of Trumpets, one of the main ones. And when that blast happens, that's when things happen. Keep that in mind. That's very important. But Jesus' voice is like a trumpet, meaning he presents authority beyond our human voices or angel voices or what have you. In Matthew 24, it talks a little bit more about this. And the point I want to make more than anything about this book, Revelation, is that during this seven-year tribulation, it is mostly concerning Israel and the Gentiles who are not Christian. So you've got the God-believing and the non-God-believing. I'm saying non-God-believing. They think they're supporting some type of God. They worship something, but it's not the God of the Bible. It's not Yahweh in the English, Jehovah. It's not God as in the Judeo-Christian sense. Many people in those days in the tribulation will worship the God of fortresses, you know, whatever that is. So during this time, there's focus on how the Jewish people unfold into this tribulation, and, and you'll see that more, but it does not involve the church after a certain period of time. So the church, Jesus's bride, will not go through all of these tribulation bad things that are happening. They're going to be in heaven celebrating a marriage supper, marriage festival. Okay, so John in verse 10 uses the term the Lord's Day, and by the time of about A.D. 95, Christians at the time were accustomed to meeting in a gathering to read scriptures, to teach, to pray on the first day of the week. And so this is often called the Lord's Day. We know this as Sunday. It's not the end of the weekend, as modern-day times assert. It's actually the first of the week, and you'll see that in the calendars. But many people today think of Saturday and Sunday as the end of the weekend, and Monday is the first day. Well, no, actually Sunday is the first day, and that's often referred to as the Lord's Day. Actually, a testimony of that day that the Lord rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so that's what that is all about. And that's why we celebrate Sunday as the Lord's Day. Now, does that replace the Sabbath day, which is Saturday? Absolutely not. A lot of Christian churches teach that, but it's wrong. We are to obey the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And if we don't, and if we work on the Sabbath, and we do things on the Sabbath we shouldn't, then we're breaking God's law. So I'm probably the chief sinner in that, that I've done that so many times I can't keep count of. Every Saturday probably in my life, I've broken the Sabbath. And probably so have you. Uh, If you've done any work at all, then you've probably broken the Sabbath. So why did God put that in there as one of the Ten Commandments? So that we would not be overlorded by people 
and we think that it was normal, meaning that you constantly work, work, work for masters of this world, and you have no break. God doesn't want us to continually work, work, work. He does want a time when we can rest and pause and think about him and reflect on his creation. And so that's a time of worshiping him and not constantly working or putting food in your mouth and that sort of thing. So there's a reason for that and the reason he put it in there in the Ten Commandments. And knowing that we don't have to be under the thumb of some dictator, some potentate, some king or ruthless leader, that we are really under God's protection, and he has given us a commandment above what any king would do, and that is to rest on one day of the week. So that's what that means. But the Lord's Day is the first day of the week, not the Sabbath. Just to be clear about that, we'll pick this up actually on verse 11 next episode. We'll kind of get into it. And here at the first, keep in mind, we're just talking about the first part of this book in the Holy Scriptures. It really hadn't got to the prophecy part in the sense that we can kind of compare it to our modern day age and where we are. We'll get to that, I promise you. But on this case, in this instance, we're just kind of getting to the to the meat of everything. And I want to kind of solidify the historical context of this to give you a flavor of what it's all about. Uh, we're going to start talking about the seven churches here in the next episode. So stay tuned. And I'm going to try to do this more and more on a weekly basis. Let other people know that they can tune into this if they don't know anything about prophecy or the Bible even, or what's happening in our modern day that's leading to the end of the age, the apocalypse, as we many people are referring to. So this is the apocalypse, the revelation. It's all around us. Invite your friends, your relatives, your, your family, that if they hear this, God will bless them. He will give them wisdom and understanding and it will all start to fit into place and makes you get to the point where, hey, I need to get my life in order. Things are coming to a head, and I need to be ready for that door to eternity, which is what my destiny is, what God made me for. Get ready, okay? And you'll certainly see everything around you developing just at breakneck speed. It's incredible what's happening. So stay tuned. We'll talk to you on the next episode. And again, this is Jesse Carter. Glad you've been with me. You have a blessed day. May God be with you. That wraps it up for today. You're one step closer to eternity and the door is open before you. Make plans to come back on your journey and learn more about the path to eternity. Then tell friends and family to travel along with us at doortoeternity.com. Find Door to Eternity podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitches, or anywhere else podcasts are found on this side of eternity. And click subscribe so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. On behalf of Jesse Carter and the team, thanks for listening to the Door to Eternity podcast. Before we get back to Door to Eternity, please consider this amazing offer. Raise funds for your organization the easy way with ProfitQuest.com fundraising. 
make up to 50% profit as you raise fast funds for your nonprofit group, ministry, church, school, club, or association. ProfitQuest.com can help you with many different types of product fundraisers like gourmet cookie dough, gourmet popcorn, gummies, snack pizza, restaurant cards, custom t-shirts, scented pencils, lollipops, sweet and salty pretzel rods, candles, chocolate candy, beef jerky, coffee, and logo tumblers to name a few. Collect your money up front from your supporters by using our handy sales flyers and catalogs provided to you, or sell each item direct to supporters on the spot and keep the profits. If you're serious about raising funds then we have a brand new free fundraising guide for you. Find out more or get started today at ProfitQuests.com. Again, that's ProfitQuests, with an S at the end, dot com, or call 1-800-443-5353. Again, 1-800-443-5353.